like to welcome all our guests if you are here for the first time and our online guests. It's so awesome to be together in God's presence today. So I think if, I, if you're going to be having load shedding for something like 12 hours, I would like to be at church, definitely. Won't you please stand and join us? We are going to have a wonderful time in God's presence. If you haven't said hello to the person next to you, have we got any guests for the first time here this morning? Have we? Let's just embrace and welcome our guests and say hi to them. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that in your presence there is just fullness of joy, fullness of peace, fullness of love. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that your faithfulness and your loving kindness never fails us. We are so secure in you. Thank you that you know every single one of us standing here this morning so intimately. You know all the details of our lives and that we can be real with you, Jesus. We can be real. So this morning, we just want to open our hearts, open our minds, just worship you and adore you. We praise you, Father. Amen. Deep, hallelujah. 
Oh, 
Wow.
that there is none like you, Lord. That you are the only one, Lord. That you are the only one for us, Father. We thank you. That we are found in you, Lord. That we get to declare your name with boldness and with confidence. For you are our King, Lord. Our almighty God. So we worship you. We praise you. You're the one our hearts desire, Lord. You're the one our hearts look to, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you are everything to us. Father, we just adore you with our lives. We bow before your throne. We lay down our crowns, Lord, and we just give you all the honor and all the glory. For you are worthy to be praised. You are worthy to be magnified in our lives. We are so thankful and so grateful. And we pray this in your holy name. And everyone says, Amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Nisner Vineyard. My name is Chloe, and it's my privilege and honor to be here this morning. But, but then on to offering. Uh, I want to read together in Luke 12, verse 24, which says, Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? What I learned from the scripture was that my value is not found in the value of my valuables, but my value is found in the God who determines my value, in the God who gave his life for me. And he said, here it is. This is how valuable you are to me. And when I understand how valuable I am in his eyes, then I understand that he wants to take care of me, that he wants to provide for me, that he has freely given me all things. And that's found when I know that I'm valued by a king who loves me. So I want to encourage you that if you're feeling like your storehouses or your barns or your sowing and your reaping is a bit low, Magnify the Lord and see that he values you. You are his valuable. And he loves you and he cherishes you and he wants to take care of you and feed you. So there are many ways to give you at Nice Vineyard. There are cash boxes available at the back after the service. You can find more ways on the screen behind me or in your newsletter. And we just thank you for sowing into this ministry. Thank you for being a part of something bigger than just small things. So we honor that and we thank you for that. I've got a joke for you. A four-year-old boy was asked to pray before Thanksgiving dinner. The family members bowed their heads in expectation and he began his prayer thanking the Lord for his friends, naming them one by one. Then he thanked the Lord for mommy, daddy, brother, sister, grandma, grandpa, and all his aunts and uncles. He began to thank the Lord for the food. He gave thanks for the turkey, the dressing, the fruit salad, the cranberry sauce, the pies, the cakes, even the cool whip. Then he paused and he waited. And he waited and he waited. And after a long silence, the young 
lad looked up at his mom and said, if I thank the Lord for the broccoli, do you think he'll know that I'm lying? (laughs) Here's another quick one. The waiter asked me, how do you like your steak, sir? I replied, like winning an argument with my wife. He replied, rare it is, sir. Rare it will be. So we've been doing our series and just hang in there guys, we're gonna try and keep it short today. I know it's hot, unfortunately our generator can power everything except all the air cons. So we just gotta sweat it out and remind ourselves what it was like before air cons. And we can just thank the um, government for load shedding, eh? Not. You know, we sang this song, It Is Well With My Soul. What a powerful song that is, you know, but many people don't know the background to that song. It was uh, written by a man called Horatio Spafford, who wrote this um, song in the 1800s. And he was a man who was a friend of a great preacher called D.L. Moody in the 1800s. But the story with Mr. Spafford is he had invested heavily in the real estate boom that had happened in Chicago just before the Chicago fires in 1871, and his holdings were wiped out by the disaster. Just before that fire, he'd also just experienced the death of his son. And so he started some new business ventures and after some time planned a trip to go to Europe with his family. And at the last minute, because of his business developments, he had to send his wife and four daughters ahead of him with his intentions to follow shortly. The ship carrying his wife and his daughters then sank at sea. And only his wife survived. And Spafford left immediately for Wales, where his wife and some of the other survivors had been taken. And while crossing the ocean, he began to write this song, It Is Well With My Soul. And during some of the words they say, when sorrow like sea billows roll, But you know, what is so noteworthy is that Spafford didn't dwell on the theme of life's sorrows and trials and tribulations and all of the loss that he'd experienced, but rather he focused on the redemptive work of Christ and his glorious second coming. You know, humanly speakingly, it's amazing that somebody could experience such personal tragedy and sorrow and trial and heartache yet with such convincing clarity, pen the words, it is well with my soul. See, if we don't know the living Christ, I think the trauma of an event or events like that would break a person. But here he has written a song that we sing now, it is well with my soul. Having lost his son, his business, and his four daughters, and still have this conviction on the inside that there is a reality of eternity and heaven that is greater than life circumstances. See, and we're doing this series called, Can You See? See, can you see when, when I'm living from a place of conviction deep within me, when I'm persuaded of the character of God and the promises that he has given me, I'm living based on an internal reality of something that I know and see 
deep within me. It's a conviction that I have within me that I'm more persuaded of than the temporal afflictions of life. For us to walk by faith and not by sight means that I'm walking with this internal conviction that God is faithful and true and what He has promised will never ever fail. And so I'm no longer just being swayed to and fro by what I'm seeing with my natural eyes, but I'm more convinced and persuaded and convicted of an internal reality of the living Christ and His Word to me. And that's what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. You see, it's, people have said, no, faith is blind, that we just have blind faith. But we don't have blind faith. Faith is about an internal picture, a clear vision internally that guides my steps. It is not blind faith. It's based on what I'm seeing on the inside. Say amen, someone. And last week we saw from Dee and for what she was preaching about, it's like what you are seeing begins to persuade your heart of something. And how God gave um, Jacob the, a practical tool to make sure that those goats and what he was seeing became that reality. And that what I'm seeing mixed to an emotion begins to write beliefs on my heart. And then I live based on what I'm magnifying in my life, what is affecting my emotions. In Hebrews 11, verse one to three, it says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So he's saying that faith has got a substance. Faith is something that I'm convicted of. Now think of a convict. A convict is somebody who is stuck where he is, he's immovable, he can't move, that's where he is, based on the evidence that was presented against him. And faith is that place where I become immovable in my convictions, in terms of my beliefs, and it's that place where the evidence that I've gathered concerning my relationship with God, the character of who He is, and what He has declared out of His Word, persuades me to a place where I become immovable. Now, many people are believing for that which they don't want. Because we're all believing something, aren't we? Okay, that wasn't a rhetorical question. <laughs> right now, you are believing something. All of us are believing something. Whether it's true or false, whether it's right or wrong, we are believing something. And for many people, they are actually believing for that which they don't want. So what do you mean, Steve? Well, what I mean by that, they have fears, anxieties, and worries that they are thinking on, pondering on, have a belief in their hearts of a sense of lack, the what-ifs of that might never happen, but the what-ifs that are connected to a negative and are persuaded in their hearts of that, and are believing for that which they don't want, and then when they get what they don't want, will make excuses or blame. Now, I know it's nobody here in church. <laughs> but why are we believing for those things that we don't want? Rather than the Bible saying here, rather having a faith and a conviction of the character of God and the truth of His Word. 
by actually believing that all things are possible for those who believe. By changing the picture on the inside of us, rather than dwelling on the fears and the worries and the anxieties and the what ifs, how about we change the picture on the inside, replace those fears, worries, and anxieties with the truth of God's word, and then seeing that God is as good as he says he is, that his word is true, and me being persuaded of that and seeing a different reality. See, that's what repentance is. Repentance means to change our mind. So he's saying faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's about gathering evidence. And you see, the children of Israel saw amazing miracles as they were in the wilderness, but the Bible says that they forgot. They did not remember the signs and the wonders. They forgot that God was faithful and true. They did not call to mind the times where God had been good to them. And then they never entered into the promised time, the promised land. See, gathering evidence means that I'm going to God's word. I'm spending time in his presence and I'm reminding myself of the faithfulness of God that even when I was faithless, he remained faithful. Even when I felt disqualified, he continued to come through. Even when I thought it was impossible, but yet with this trust and conviction in my heart, I saw him be a miracle worker. In verse two, it says, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. Now we sang the song this morning that we have this testimony. Every one of you have a testimony of God's faithfulness. And it's saying, because of this faith, this conviction, this trust that we have, we have this testimony of God's faithfulness and he hasn't changed. He's still the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then he says, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. The word framed there means he created a picture. But it says, by faith we understand. For many people, they first want to understand and then have faith. But here it says, by faith we understand. When I make a decision to trust God, when I make this decision, this internal decision, because remember, my will has to be involved and when I make a decision, grace is activated. So when I do that, when I make a decision to trust God, faith is released in me because the operational power of God, grace is released because I've made a decision to agree with God. The Bible says that's when understanding comes. See, it's not I first understand and then I have faith. He says by faith we understand. And it's amazing, when I make a decision to believe God, all of a sudden revelation comes. And that's what he's saying here. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. So he's saying, when I begin to take an internal reality, that which is not visible with my eyes, my natural eyes, but when I make a decision to see a clear picture on the inside, what happens is it begins to manifest in the physical. See, and most people are wanting change on the outside. They're wanting the visible on the outside, but don't have a clear picture on the inside. For me to see clearly, I have to believe in the unseen world. I have to believe. The Bible says, by faith, it's by believing in my heart, in the invisible God. See, that's what we have. This is about a capacity to grasp and conceptualize something that cannot be seen or proven 
at that particular moment, but it's because of this internal reality, this picture on the inside that I have within me. And that is what faith is. It's this conviction of an internal reality where I'm no longer moved by my circumstances, but I'm moved by what I'm seeing and feeling and thinking on the inside of me. How about instead of believing for what we don't want, we start believing God for what we do want? How about we let go of all those worries and fears and we replace them with hopes and dreams and expectations? And we persuade our hearts of a new reality. Instead of believing God for the, or believing for the worst, how about we replace that with God's promises and we start believing for the best? What if it does work out? What if God does provide? What if you do see yourself walking in healing? What if you do find your, your mate? your spouse. How about believing the best instead of always having this expectation, well, it doesn't work out for me. You know, the spies came back with a negative report, 10 of them. The promised land was theirs for the taking, but they saw the giants and they came back with a negative report, but two came back with this possibility that the land is ours for the taking. Two came back with this hope and this expectation Man, if God is with us, we can take the promised land. Let's rather be like the two, two spies who didn't see things with their natural eyes, but saw things with their internal eyes. Seeing things with this hope and expectation. You know, the Bible says that with God, all things are possible. So instead of looking at things through the lens of what is impossible, let's look at things through the lens of with God, all things are possible. See, but unfortunately, we allow our past experiences, the trauma of the past, we are allowing those things that have happened to us, the things that we have done to others to disqualify us from entering into the promised land. Yet God is the one who is with us, who is a limitless God, invites us into a relationship with Him where He says, if you are willing to trust me, you can start to experience what you think might be impossible because all things are possible to those who believe. Say amen. Amen. <laughs> See, and God gave Abram a tool to persuade his heart just like he gave Jacob something that he could do to persuade his heart. So let's read it here in Genesis chapter 15 from verses one to six. God gave Abraham something to see as well, to change his view of God and to change his view of the promise, to make it possible. It starts here in verse one. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. So his name here was Abram and God changed his name later to Abraham to you are a father of many nations so that he started to change how he heard himself. He changed what came out of his mouth that, hey, I'm gonna make you the father of many nations. So when he would introduce himself later on in life, he would introduce himself as, hi, my name is the father of many nations. How many children you got, Abram? None. <laughs> but God gave him something to say and something to hear. And he starts by saying, I'm gonna give you something to see. He says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram. 
So he starts off with, look, I want you to encounter me for who I am. For you to trust me, you need to know who I am. And the first thing you need to know about me is you don't need to be afraid. Let go of your fears. Let go of your fears of life, but also let go of this view that you have of me. You don't need to be afraid of me. That just blows my mind because for me to be able to trust God and His Word, I've got to know who He is. I can't trust somebody if I believe that they are the source of my pain. If I believe that God is the source of my problems or He's trying to test me or He's trying to put me in some situation to find out what I'm made of, if I believe that's who God is, I will never be able to trust Him fully because I believe He's the source of my problems. And that's why when God introduces himself to Abram, yeah, he's saying the first thing I want you to know, Abram, is you don't have to be afraid of me. You don't have to fear me. And then he goes on, I am your shield. I'm the one who will protect you. I'm not gonna put you in harm's way. I'm not gonna put you in a place where your life is in danger. No, I'm gonna be the one who protects you. I'm your shield and I'm your exceedingly great reward. That's who I am. When you trust me, when you come into an intimate relationship with me as your father, as your God, I'm gonna be your exceedingly great reward. Can you trust me that I can help you live the abundant life? the dreams that you have in your heart. I'm the one who help, wants to help you get there. You're very quiet this morning. I'm preaching better than what you are responding by. I'm, I'm getting encouraged. It says, but Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abraham said, look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, and notice this is how many people think. God comes and counters us and says, listen, I love you. I'm for you. I'm with you. My word for you is true. And what do we do? Yeah, but what about this here? And our eyes get off the character and nature of God onto a promise that we believe in God for. And we exalt what we don't have rather than who He is. Rather exalting who our Father is, the creator of the universe, the limitless one, the one that when I trust and believe in Him, all things are possible. Instead of magnifying Him and His character and His faithfulness and the fact that He is true and that He's given me abundant life, He's given me His Son and every promise with Him will focus on the one thing that we don't have. And that's what Abraham did. And God in His patience, in His kindness, it says the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but the one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and he said, look now toward heaven. Change what you see on the inside, Abram. I want you to see that when you trust me and my word and the promise that comes out of my mouth, you need to start changing what you are looking at. Instead of looking at what you don't have, I want to show you the possibility of what you can have. And he says, I want you to look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. So I'm gonna give you a job, Abraham, to change your focus. I want you to change what you see. Instead of seeing what you don't have, 
Let's go outside and I want, to, I want you to look at the stars and I want you to try and count them and see if it's possible, if you're able to count them because that's how many your descendants will be. And he took Abram from a lack mindset to the possibility of abundance just by changing what he sees. And he says here, and he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord and he accounted it unto him for righteousness. So in that moment when he changed his focus, something happened in his heart and he's like, you know what? There is a possibility here that if I will change my focus and actually trust that God is my shield, that I don't need to be afraid of him. If I can actually trust that God is my exceedingly great reward and that what he has promised me, if I can trust him, there is a possibility that I can go from this place of not having to having this abundance just by trusting God. And the Bible says when he did that, it was accounted unto him as righteousness. It was like his heart came into agreement from a place of impossibility to a place of possibility, a place of I don't have to wow, there is an abundance that God is promising me here. The word believed here in the Hebrew means he trusted God to be faithful. He trusted God to be faithful. See, and this is a heart conviction where I'm not looking to see whether I'm gonna be faithful or not here because that's what happens. We start to qualify ourselves for the promise based on our good works. And God's not asking you to look at yourself to see if you qualify based on your good works or disqualify yourself based on your bad works. Because for some of us, it gets, it's easier, hey? Because we know our good works aren't so good. So we'd rather disqualify ourselves because of our bad works. Don't look at me like that. You live with yourself, you know. <laughs> but you see, he, he gave Abraham a promise connected to changing his vision, to so that he could start to see clearly. Begin to change what you're seeing. What do you see on the inside? See, this is about what is going on inside of you because God's a heart God. God's about what's going on inside of your heart. I have to change what I'm seeing on the inside. If I can harness my imagination and keep it in line with the word of God, I can overcome any situation. Because it's this conviction deep within me. The Bible says Sarah, when she considered, she judged, the Bible says she judged God as being faithful. And looked at Abraham and both of them, the Bible says they considered his body as being dead. Yet they chose to believe God. That God would be faithful. See, and sometimes inside of us, we just think, man, this, this desire that I have, this dream that I, it's dead. Listen, Sarah and Abraham were old toppies. They were clapping 100. And that's why Sarah even judged Abraham's body and said, Here, Booty, you're dead. <laughs> dead in all ways. Yet, in that, even though she had judged Abraham as good as dead, she chose to trust and she judged that God is faithful. And she made a decision, you know what? I can know what I can see with my own eyes. But I'm gonna trust God and see something with my spiritual eyes. What do you see? 
See, are we making judgments based on what our natural eyes see? Or are we in this place of faith and conviction where I'm rather gonna trust what I see inside and I become immovable about what I'm believing on the inside? Because what I'm seeing, what I'm focusing on, what I'm magnifying, what I'm thinking about, what I'm pondering on gets magnified. And it's that place, as soon as I connect emotion to it, I begin to write these beliefs on my heart. That's why rather see yourself living in the fulfillment of the promise, seeing the desires fulfilled because you've attached a positive emotion to actually see yourself living in this place of hope, living in this place that with God, all things are possible. What if all things are possible for you? What if? Instead of dwelling on the what ifs, it doesn't happen. What if you had to dwell on the possibility if it did happen? How would that change your emotions and what beliefs could you write on your heart? And what testimonies would you have of the faithfulness of God? Because Jesus himself said, all things are possible to those who believe. Hello? And I just wanna focus on two barriers that hinder us from experiencing this, and they are pride and fear. And the first thing I wanna talk about is pride. Pride is man's resistance to change, rooted in the fear of being wrong, but having the need to be right. So let me put it this way. We would rather believe something that is wrong to preserve our ego and our pride See, our self-worth is so low that we would rather fight for the right to be wrong than to repent and change our minds and believe what is right. That's called pride. We want a different outcome, but we want to hold on to wrong beliefs because we're afraid that if I admit that I'm wrong, that I'm wrong which is a lie. If what you are believing is wrong, well, let me put it this way. If you're believing something that is wrong, it doesn't make you wrong. You're still the beloved of God. It just means what I'm believing is wrong. Am I making sense? Yeah. <laughs> In Proverbs 60, 25, it says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Many of us would rather be wrong and feel right about it than to be right and have to work through and conquer the feelings of being wrong. See, pride gets in the way because we want a different outcome, but we refuse to change our minds about what we're believing. And I cannot have a different outcome if I refuse to change what I'm believing. I can only have a different outcome if I change what I'm believing right now. See, you and I, we are a product today of what we believed yesterday. Now, when I heard that for the first time, I went into depression at the time because I didn't like where my life was at the time. And after a few months, the Holy Spirit said to me, Steve, you can change your tomorrow if you believe right today. If I'm prepared 
to change what I'm believing about myself and God and my outlook on life. If I'm prepared to create a positive emotion to the promise of God and I, I'm prepared to change what I'm believing on the inside, I'll have a different tomorrow. But I can't have a different tomorrow if I'm holding on to the same beliefs today. Your beliefs, where you are right now, the beliefs you have have got you where you are now. Because out of the heart flow the issues of life. So if you want a different outcome, you need to change what you believe today. But pride gets in the way because we are resistant to change because we would rather be wrong and feel right than just to say, you know what, I'm believing the wrong thing here. I'm gonna change what I believe. That's how easy it is. Because when I make a decision to change what I'm believing, grace is activated. So you don't have to defend the fact that you are believing the wrong thing. If you're gonna defend what you're believing, you're gonna keep it. Because whatever we defend, we keep. But it's, humility is where grace comes alive. And that's what it says in James chapter five. God gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If I'm willing to humble myself and agree with God that maybe all things are possible, grace comes alive in me. But if I'm just gonna defend my right to be wrong, I'm just gonna get more of the same. <laughs> Pride is when I desire a different outcome but refuse to change what's happening in my heart because God's interested in what's happening in your heart. For you to experience the abundant life, it's about what's going on in my heart. Yes? Which means for me to step into the promised land, man, I might need to encounter some giants. I might need to have to encounter my past, which is telling me that I'm inferior and disqualified and not good enough. I might need to confront it and say, Mr. Giant, you are wrong. God says I'm his beloved. God says my past is gone. God says that I'm qualified because Jesus lives inside of me. And conquer that giant rather than allowing, see, we all have this little inner critic that's sitting in the passenger seat and there's a champion in the boot with tape over its mouth. <laughs> Yet we drive along listening to the critic in the passenger seat. I have another word for the critic, but that's for the men, I'll tell you later. <laughs> but there's this critic trying to direct our lives for us. And we need to take that critic, put tape over its mouth, bind its hands and its feet and put him in the boot. And let Mr. Champion who's in the boot come and sit next to us in the passenger seat and tell us, listen, with God, all things are possible, brother. But we're living our lives allowing the inner critic to determine the outcome rather than the possibility of the champion who lives inside of us, saying, man, if you trust me, all things are possible. Which leads me to my second point, which is fear. You know, because of our upbringing, our past, our experiences in life, our view of God wants to tell us that not all things are possible. Maybe all things are possible for the pastor. But I know me. Listen, I'm just like you. Okay? We'll leave it there. But the Bible says that faith comes alive when we understand and believe the love that God has for us. And it's when I'm willing to let go of my fears of the what ifs, what if it doesn't work out? 
When I'm, I'm willing to let go of those things and actually believe that God loves me, that God loves me so much that he wants me to experience the desires of my heart more than I do. And religion wants to tell you that God will only give you what you need and not what you want. Let me say that again. Religion wants to tell you that God will only give you what you need, not what you want. That's what religion wants to tell you. But you have a loving heavenly father who gives you the desires of your heart, not just meets your needs. He gives you the desires of your heart. The, the des- I'm talking about godly desires. Don't, don't go believing for some other guy's wife, okay? <laughs> I'm talking about godly desires. The Bible says God gives you the desires of your heart. He places the desire in you and he gives you that desire. And religion wants to tell you the opposite. That God is stingy and he just wants you to get by in life. No, he died to give you abundant life. In 1 John chapter four, I'm not gonna read, I have all of the scriptures here, but I wanna read from verse 16. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. See, and that day of judgment is the judgment that we make about ourselves also. And we make these judgments. We're not good enough. It's not gonna work out. Uh, And we come up with all the reasons. Let's make godly judgments. Well, what if it does work out? What if God is for us? What if he's the God of the miraculous? What if, if I trust him, all things are possible? Let's make godly judgments. See, and that's why he says, that's what gives me confidence because we know this is not about me, it's about Jesus. So we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he first loved us. When I choose to believe that God loved me first, that he gave his promises to me first, that he was the one who took away every obstacle first, that he's the one who took sin and curse First, when I choose to believe that he did it all for me first because he loves me, faith begins to be activated. Because I know this is not about how much I'm loving God. I know that this is about how much God loves me and that that can expel fear, the fear that it might not happen and replace it with love that maybe God loves you so much that he wants you to experience the desires of your heart. Maybe, just maybe, God loves you so much, He wants you to have abundant life. Just maybe. Are you willing to trust Him, like Abram, like Jacob, like the fathers of of old, to say, you know what, I'm gonna take a step to actually trust that I don't need to be afraid of God and that I can actually believe that He is my shield, that I can actually believe that He is my exceedingly great reward, that if I'm willing to trust His character and nature and judge Him as being faithful and true, just maybe I will see my desires fulfilled. What do you see? What do you see on the inside? See, it's so important that because the the enemy wants to lie to us about God, 
lie to us about our circumstances, lie to us about us. And you see, we need to be conquering these things by taking these steps, saying, you know what? I'm gonna choose to believe that God is good and that He is good to me and that I will live in the land of the living and see my, des- my desires fulfilled. Why? Because of Psalm 145. The Lord upholds all who fall. I mean, if you have ever fallen in life, you're in good company. Because the Bible says that the Lord upholds all who fall. It gives me such hope because I fall all the time. And it's, it, it gives me such hope to know that, man, whenever I fall, I'm in good company because that's where the Lord is, because He upholds all who fall. It says He raises up all who are bowed down. If you are bowed down, you're in good company because He's the one who will raise you up. In verse 15, the eyes of all look expectantly to you. Are you looking to your circumstances and are filled with fear and dread? Or are you looking to Him with this expectancy in your heart? And you give them their food in due season, He will provide for you. Verse 16, you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Are you a living thing? The Bible says that His hand is open to satisfy the desire of every living thing. In the Message Bible, it says that he's an open-handed father, generous to a fault. See, God's not withholding anything. Are you willing to let go of fear and pride and trust the fact that God loves you so much that he will satisfy your desire? Won't you stand to your feet this morning? See, Jesus, when he was encountered with lack, when there were 5,000 people that needed to be fed and they came with a little boy's lunch and he told the disciples, hey man, feed everybody. Why? Because he wasn't lack conscious. And they're like, no, there's too many people here. And Jesus said, give that lunch to me. And the Bible says he broke it, he blessed it and he looked up to heaven. The Bible says, they looked up to heaven. The Bible says he recovered his sight. Instead of looking at the need, He recovered his sight by looking up to heaven and seeing the abundance that God has to see his father and his creator. And the Bible says he fed everybody that was there with much more left over. What do you see this morning? What do you see in your heart? What is going on inside of you? What picture do you have of God? What picture do you have of yourself? Because God wants to change that picture from lack to abundance, from having nothing to having more than enough, from being sick and depressed to being joyful and expectant. What do you see on the inside? Why don't you close your eyes this morning? I believe God brought you here this morning because He loves you so, so much that He wants you to see, He wants to see you living in the promise more than you do. But it starts with you aligning with what God sees. What does God see for you? What is the more than enough that He has for you? He loves you so much. He satisfies the desire of every living Can you change your picture 
your image on the inside this morning. And begin to see God for who He is and begin to see yourself the way God sees you, as a beloved child. Maybe you're standing here this morning, you've never made Jesus your personal Lord and Saviour. Well, God loves you so much this morning that He brought you here, that you could discover how much He loves you, that His Son died and gave His life for you and paid a price you could never pay, that you could experience eternal life. If that's you this morning, I wanna pray for you specifically. If you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never said yes to Him, I wanna pray for you. So if you're standing here this morning, you are unsure of your eternal destiny, but you wanna be sure this morning. I wanna pray with you. No one looking around, I'm not here to embarrass you, but I wanna pray for you. And you're saying, yes, I wanna receive Jesus this morning. I wanna know what it is to be loved by my heavenly Father. You want me to pray for you. I want you to do something brave and slip up your hand quickly. No one looking around and I'm gonna pray for you. Just slip, just slip it up quickly so I can see you. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, ma'am. Can we pray with those who lifted their hands and those who wanted to this morning? Can we just pray together? Can we just say, Heavenly Father, thank you that you love me. I believe in you, Jesus. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. I believe you are Lord of all. Thank you that I am loved and that you adopt me as your child. Come and live in me. Thank you that all things are washed away and I'm a new creation in you. Thank you that I'm forgiven and your child in Jesus' name. And Father, I thank you this morning. Thank you that we can change what we see and begin to agree with you that you're a good father. Lord, we wanna judge you as being faithful, that you are true, that you are good, and that you love us with a perfect love. Lord, we wanna see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living Lord. Thank you that you satisfy the desire of every living thing. And we give you honor and praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for coming. For those of you who have to go, always remember, you are highly favored and deeply loved of God. Love you so much. <laughs>